1: Connecting to the big show.
2: In three, two, one.
3: When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm sure we know what this is,
1: to
2: be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do, it was
1: horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can
2: we just talk? Call 1850-715-996.
1: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
2: Email opinion at 96fm.id.
1: The lines are live.
2: Let's kickstart the conversation.
1: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
2: On Cork's
4: 96fm. Are you confused? Are you? Do you know what's going to happen? If you're going out at the weekend, if you're going to go jazzing, do you know what you're going to do and where you're going to go and what you're allowed to do once you get there? One thing is for sure, you will have to have your COVID pass to get in anywhere. That was supposed to be lifted from tomorrow. Not happening now. You'll need your COVID pass to get into anything you go to over the weekend you'll also need to have a mask with you when you go to the pub so that when you get up to go to the toilet and like you've been doing right through the summer you'll have to wear a mask there you'll have to have table service the bar counter will not be coming back there's no bar counter brought back now we're thinking until february of next year uh, you can go to a match and the venue can be 100 capacity You can go to a nightclub and you can dance without your mask, but you need a mask to go to the Jacks in the nightclub and they think you can queue up for a drink at the bar in the nightclub. It's all very confusing. Is it one or six, Fergal, I'm going to... All of the various newspapers today have their own take on it. A long winter of COVID rules despite our new freedoms is the headline on the Irish Independent. Confusion reigns, they say. Neffet insists COVID passes and mask wearing must remain. And they say two million home antigen tests will be rolled out. So that if you're a close contact, they will send you an antigen test. The Echo has a, a court case on the front page, uh, but it does go into detail inside. COVID rules posing capacity issues, it says, for jazz pubs. As the jazz weekend dawns, what are they going to be able to do? Who's going to be able to go in? Who isn't? A blueprint for living with COVID, is how the Irish Daily Mail puts it. A full reopening with restrictions. That's the new normal, says Leo Vradkar. But the nighttime industry has attacked what it says are the chaotic guidelines it's meant to work with over the next while. Fill your boots, says the Irish Daily Mirror. COVID rules. Easing, particularly they seem to be focusing on outdoor events like matches. The Star has copper face masks. I quite like that one. And the Irish Examiner has nights of chaos ahead. Nighttime economy to reopen, but with full protective measures. And the Times tells us about the booster jab programme for the over 60s to begin in November. The Irish Sun focuses in some detail on the confusion among the various sectors. And I'm going, I'm hoping to talk to Adam Higgins of the Irish Sun, but I'm wondering where to go with it, guys. I'm looking for one or six. Let's go through. The Taoiseach was then on the 6-1 News last night where he was asked about this confusion because that was the first response of all the various sectors of the nighttime economy was confusion. And the Taoiseach was on the 6-1 News and it was put to him about that confusion.
5: Rather than getting stuck in the specifics and I understand what each sector does, the real key message collectively for us as a society and as a people is that we all have to double down and just behave sensibly as we move about the place in terms of protecting ourselves and wider society from this terrible disease.
4: More from that interview in a while, but I'm joined now by Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun. Adam, your paper this morning is going through the confusion among the various sectors of the night-time economy. Good morning.
6: Good morning, yeah, and I think the Taoiseach there will have to double down on his clarifications today because what should have been a a really good news day because there was a a wider reopening and lifting of restrictions than perhaps some people may have expected when it comes to the soundings from Neffert over the past couple of days. I mean, that curfew on pubs is gone. We're going to have full stadiums. Nightclubs will get to reopen. And unfortunately, the government have scored an own goal here by all the confusion and not having all the intricacies of this laid out perfectly before they come to the public with it.
4: Micheál Martin's argument, and there's another clip which I'll play in a minute from that interview on in One, is that the game changed late at night on Monday when Neffert issued its instructions. Does he get anywhere for saying that?
6: I don't think so, because this isn't the first time this has happened, and I've been on this show before to talk about this. The day after these restrictions are being changed, and the amount of times... Taoiseach Michal Martin has come out to the press after they've agreed to change or alter the restrictions whether it's closing things down or reopening over the past 18 months and they haven't had their story straight so many times we come out and, and the first couple of questions that the, the reporters put to the, the government leaders in a press conference has already starts poking holes in their plan to reopen and we've seen this happen time and time again even if you remember as far back as when we had these phases and automatically the first day that we had these re- five stages of reopening we were already on 2.3 in Dublin or Something like that, time and time again, they've made a mess of these reopening restrictions, and I think if the game changes, as the Taoiseach says on Sunday night, then what the government should do is change their plan on announcing this and get, spend the ne- an extra couple of hours getting things right and going through these questions that are going to be asked before they come to the public with no answers.
4: Now the various sectors of course will have to come up with their own documents and that's, I, 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 don't, I don't really have any, I wouldn't like to be in the Hotel Federation or I wouldn't like to be in the Vintners Federation or anywhere today or particularly the nightclub owners trying to figure out what you can and can't do when you step into a nightclub for the first time in, in 20 months.
6: Yes, and in particular, concerts and nightclub owners. I mean, these are two industries that have been bounced around the place for the past 18 months, whether they're going to open, close, the dates have been changed on them. And now, again, at the very last minute, I mean, these, I know there's concerts set to go ahead. They were full sold out for Friday on the anticipation that these rules would be changed. and that, And then at the very last minute, in a, a move that was never flagged before, they're going, the government have decided that concerts can only be sitting only and you can stand at your chair for some reason, which restricts the capacity. And perhaps gigs will have to be cancelled because they've already sold too many tickets to move seats into it. And then on, when they look across the street, if you're on Camden Street and you're in Whelan's uh, venue and then you look across the street to... Um, Places like Copper's, they're allowed full standing, dancing and everything else, but we haven't seen the rules that the government are going to put on them and they're supposed to open on Friday. And this is Wednesday and they still haven't seen the rules of how they're supposed to reopen. I mean, it's, it's real chaos. Mm, it is
4: Chaos is a very good word for it. Look at another element of, uh, that was confirmed yesterday, Adam, and that is that antigen tests, at long, long last, they're going to start using them, but still it's limited to people who are deemed to be close contacts.
6: Yes, and this will be a confusing one as well because the HSC will send out these antigen tests to people who are vaccinated and who are going to be close contacts. How will that work on a practical stage? Like, I mean, are everybody's addresses up to date on there with the HSC's information? How is that going to work? It'll be very interesting to see how that's going to be rolled out over the next couple of weeks. That's actually a very
4: good point. I mean, I wouldn't know if I came up as a close contact of someone now, does the HSE have an up-to-date address for me to send me a test?
6: Exactly, and I know, personally myself, I've moved three times over the past four years. I have no idea what the last time I was in, thankfully the last time I was involved with the, the health service at all, so I don't know what Uh, address they have for me and how are they going to keep up with that sort of thing and it'll be very interesting to see how the HSC deal with that one and you'd wonder I've seen someone suggest um, over the past couple of hours that perhaps they could have done this in a better way of you know using these antigen tests, leaving them, uh, you know, stock, stocks, of, stocks of them in maybe the local GP or the local pharmacy, and if someone's a close contact, they can go down masked up to pick them up. I'm not sure how that would work either, but it seems to be a kind of a messy way to be sending them out to each person's address, and how quickly will that happen? I know the the big benefit of these rapid antigen tests is that is the speed, so if you go to get a PCR test, it could take 24 to 48 hours. For these tests to get your results back, the antigen test result is supposed to be back in a couple of hours. So what's the speed element of this? I mean if we if someone has to wait a day or possibly two days, depending on where they are in the country, for this to be posted to them, what's the benefit of switching from rapid antigen to as opposed to the PCR?
4: So in the corridors of Leinster House today, Adam, what will be the tone of the conversation? Will it be along the lines of Christ, how do we make this work?
6: I think there will be a lot of um, panicked uh, drawing up of plans in particular for the nightclub sector because they're going to need rules immediately. I mean, today, in the next couple of hours, because they're already hiring staff. There's so many people who work in those sectors who or people who are planning to go to concerts or musicians who are ready to play on Friday, and they have no idea what they're supposed to do now. And they're waiting and they're looking at Catherine Martin's department, the Department of Arts, and saying, Tell us tell us what we can do Friday. Tell us what we can do on Saturday. This is a bank holiday. There's a lot going on. I mean, you look at the Cork Jazz Festival itself. What happens there now? There's so many concerts going on in that city now, this weekend, across the weekend, and those organisers kind of don't know what's going to happen. They
4: don't. Adam, thank you very much. Adam Higgins of uh, The Irish Sun for being with us, as always, on The Opinion Line. And that captures it. the confusion, and in particular the confusion with regards to the Jazz Festival. If you just go through your social media, And you'll see various venues have lists of gigs. Many performers, some of them friends of mine, have put up gigs that they have this weekend. Delighted for them to have the work back. But now, will the rules affect what they can do and where they can do it and how they can do it? and Will they affect your right to go and see them? Or on the other hand, should we be taking more account of the fact that this disease is not yet under control? Should we be more concerned about that.
2: Can we just talk?
4: The Opinion Line on
1: Cork's 96FM With
2: McCarthy Insurance Group Call in person or call them now They don't just talk the talk they walk the walk CMIG.ie
1: can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ
4: Coogan.
2: Text or WhatsApp
1: now 083 396 On Courts 96 FM.
4: Kevin makes a point that it's almost like the public needs their hand held through this entire process. Every minute detail explained in every detail. It'll get sorted out. I think what you're kind of saying to us, Kevin, is breathe. It'll be grand. And there's an amount in what you say I gotta say. Let me go to the Imperial Hotel, which is one of the main jazz festival venues. And they'd have axe book booked right across the weekend. Um pretty much all day. Traditionally, the music in the Imperial would start in the afternoon and go on until the very early hours of the morning. Bastian Perrault down there. Bastian, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Great. Good to speak with you, my friend, and thanks for being with us. So looking day, into the jazz weekend. With these new rules and regulations to hand, what can you tell us? You're going ahead as normal?
7: Well, um, PJ we were planning to go um with some restrictions anyway, so the table service was something that we were planning to do. Um we will have a, a mix of high table, low tables. We will have live music. We'll try to make it as pleasurable and normal as possible, but it will be slightly different than we normally Uh, do however it's much better than what we did last year which was nothing so uh, we are very grateful to be able to do something
4: yeah your table service will affect the capacity of the venue normally the imperial is a place that would be stuffed right for the weekend you're not going to be able to do that now
7: no we won't no 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 we won't and um again table service was something that we're planning to do we we knew that some restrictions would be uh uh, kept and uh, listen we all have to do whatever it takes to suppress this virus so um, we have worked from the beginning very beginning to with the guidelines and we continue to do so we are very grateful for the extension of the hours already so that means that people will be able to stay longer or to uh, will have to be uh, able to have more people coming so that's already great and we have some fabulous bands coming people will be enjoying themselves they cannot uh dance in the middle of a room as they used to but they can stay at the table stand and uh, enjoy themselves just in a slightly different way
4: will people have to book Uh,
7: no we uh, we decided to do it differently for sustainability is everything pj so we had um, we have decided this year that we will give a voluntary donation which will go to cork simon's at the entrance and that's um, our revenue should suffice to pay the live music, which (laughs) I hope it will. But uh, no, they don't have to book, we work work on a walk-in basis, we'll have two entrances, one on Pembroke Street and one on South Mall, we'll have people taking the contact tracing, checking the certificate for the vaccination. Pretty much as we have done now for the last few weeks, months, so nothing very new to us in terms of procedure.
4: Does it make it more difficult, Bastian? that you thought that the COVID cert would be gone for the weekend, but it's not? In, In fact, you're being asked to enforce it even more rigidly. Is that a problem?
7: No, not at all. I think it's something that we have done. We have been controlled a few times um this COVID set were something that we did from the very beginning at the beginning it was a bit uh, even of a confusion for the, maybe the older generation who do not uh, are not comfortable with smartphone etc but no i think now everyone is well used and well versed with it we check it they we don't even have to ask people show it to us straight away do you know what i mean so it's no um, it's not a challenge at all. The team, my Imperial family here is very well uh, trained on that. They know what they yeah. have to ask. We have a, a, a strict procedure with it. And as, as I said, as we have done it for a few months now, um, no challenge whatsoever it's a bit like checking at the airport when you fly you know so yeah. we can do that no problem
4: one of the lovely things about going to a big venue like the imperial at the jazz is being able to spend a half an hour in the front bar and then be nip across to the back where you have another band on and maybe effectively just tour around the building that won't be really possible this time will it
7: No, it won't Um, for contact tracing purpose. We will, um, the way we have envisaged to do it will depend on the number of people who will want to do that. It's, um, people will have to requeue, So uh, going out of one venue to go to the other so we can take the timings of uh, that they arrive and uh, retake the contact tracing, like if there were new customers. But on the other hand, we have two different venues, two different spots with live music. And we'll have um, um, the whole structure for it. My team is ready. And we are so excited, yeah, actually, yeah. despite the restrictions. Yeah, I I,
4: I'm very, very taken by the positivity in your voice and, and the attitude. Look, it's better to have this with some restrictions than what we had last year, which was nothing.
7: Exactly. And we are going toward the right direction. We are going. So we, we knew we, cannot, we could not get out like that. So there's no surprise in that. We all need to do the right things. And there is uh, some, people, some people who are qualified to take this decision for us. So uh, I understand the debate around it. But at the end now, it has been a year and a half. So we know we have to live with restrictions until we sort that out. So let's all do it together and get on with it, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I'm so happy to be able to have my musicians back. And we'll have a fantastic evening, three days of fun. We'll just do it slightly differently. It doesn't mean that it won't be fun at all. And uh, it's very important for Cork City to have this festival. It's, it's generate a lot of money for smaller cafes, for the businesses, for the breakfast, for people buying the newspapers in the morning. You know, there is a real community spirit. So we all need to get behind this jazz weekend now. And uh, I think uh, Cork City have done it really, really well. And we have done it the whole summer. Um, so we're mm. fine. We will be fine.
4: I well, must after. compliment you, actually, Bastian, um, as one of the venues that really embraced the outdoor when we all, when all we had was outdoor, yes. uh, and and it was great, yes, and places right. a lot of places did it, but it just it was worth it's worth giving a pat on the back where it's where it's deserved. Thank you for being with us on the Opinion Land, Bastion Pero, down at the Imperial Hotel on South man one of the big jazz venues. They will be open, they will have music. You will have to sit down. It will have to be table service, and the. Fun of moving around the venue from band to band. That's not really going to be possible. But like you said, at least we have a jazz festival. Thanks, Bastien. We we were working hard. The team was working hard into the evening to try to get more industry people to speak to us about how they were preparing for the weekend. We we're a bit disappointed now, to be honest. A lot of people are very nervous and shifty about... Oh, we won't be saying that until we know what's going on. I think I think Bastian has summed it up. It's not what we want, but hey, it's better than what we had. 185715996. Bernie says everyone agreed to use the COVID cert months ago with no issue. Where's the issue now? People need to start taking a bit more responsibility throughout the end of this pandemic. On that, Bernie, the teacher gave that interview as I said to six one. Last evening and he was asked by David McCullough about the certs and about the checking of the certs because we know anyone talking around the streets of Cork is saying, well, I was checked here and I wasn't checked there and no one asked me all day. And I was asked four times and we know, we know absolutely that not everybody is being asked for a cert everywhere they go and not everybody is being asked for ID with that cert Everywhere we go, there's a bit of nod and winking going on. And they want that to stop. They want the search checked. They want the IDs checked as part of trying to do this properly. And the Taoiseach was asked about that last night on 6-1.
5: I think there's a responsibility in all of us. If I'm going into a restaurant and someone doesn't look for your COVID search, we should ask and say, why aren't you looking for my should you walk out? COVID search? Um, yes, I would, if, 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 if it's not safe. because we, we, we simply, Because what we're doing is to enable reopening. And we've done that successfully since early spring. We've enabled the reopening of the economy and the reopening of society to such an extent that the economy has come back faster and in a more productive way than we would have anticipated two months ago.
4: If you're not asked for a cert this weekend, would you walk out of the venue? It's a good question. Uh, 1857
1: 15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With
2: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. Cmig.ie.
1: All this stars on one show. Yo, what's up? It's your boy KSI. Yo, what's good, Universe?
2: It's 24K Golden.
8: I'm Miley Cyrus.
1: Hi, we're picture this. This is Meduza. The hit mix with Shane Bucks
2: Shane Bucks
1: on your radio weeknights from 8
2: with New Market Motors Volkswagen low rate finance and purchase contributions across the Volkswagen van range, newmarketvolkswagen.ie
1: Corks 96FM Can we just
2: talk
1: the opinion line with
4: PJ Coogan.
2: Call us now, 1850-715-996.
1: On courts 96 FM. I come
4: back to the plans for the weekend and the various restrictions across various sectors. But there's a very exciting piece of research uh, being done at the moment, and an Irish group is head, neck, and tail of it. As, as they say. And they're asking a question and a, a paper was published in one of the biggest journalists, one of the biggest immunology journals in the world recently. Why do some people not get COVID-19? They, we all know of a family, for example, where COVID-19 flew through the house. One person might got very sick. Everyone got a bit sick. One person got nothing. It flew through the house and One person avoided it. We all know a situation like that at this stage. There's research going on now as to why that is the case. And one of the people involved in that research is Professor Kena O'Farrelly, who is Professor of Comparative Immunology at Trinity College in Dublin, and I'm joined now by Professor Farrelly. Uh, Good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Very exciting research, which I'll get to in a a while, but you wrote a piece in, in, in The Times... Uh, professor, which says, despite all our efforts, we find ourselves with the Delta variant swirling across the country and throughout the world. Should we despair? No, we shouldn't. Expand on that a little.
9: Well, this is just an extraordinary virus and uh, it gets everywhere. And uh, who'd have believed this time last year, us immunologists thought we wouldn't have a vaccine against it. But we do. We have some wonderful vaccines, but powerful and all as these vaccines are, they're not perfect. And the virus is, is um, able to um, infect even if people are vaccinated. So um, we really have to, I think we're, we're looking at the long haul here, I'm afraid. I know people won't want to hear that. But uh, I think we've an awful lot to do before we, we're actually out of the woods.
4: And unfortunately, people sometimes have to be told what they don't want to hear. And that is one of those <laughs> facts. Do, do we know, Professor? Why Ireland or is there any idea out there as to why Ireland with such a high level of vaccination and people have queued up for hours for their vaccines? Do we know why with such a high vaccination rate we're not doing as well? as other parts of the EU?
9: It is a puzzle because because we, as a nation, we should absolutely be congratulating ourselves for um, the wonderful response to those vaccines. Our vaccine uptake has been just fantastic um, and uh, the the rollout of the vaccine strategy has been just amazing on the part of the HSE. Um, But of course, you know, it hasn't been um, uh, licensed for children, young people below 12. So Mm. that's a huge number of people we're all mixing around. But um, the other, the topic that was on just before or earlier, I think that's a major difference between us and um, mainland Europe is um, our reluctance to really enforce the vaccine certificates. So uh, that, that and also antigen testing. So those are two tools that I think we're not using to the best of our ability. Mm-hmm.
4: A lot of people uh, in 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 your line of work are saying at the moment we should have and we should do more with antigen testing to yeah. help to bring this under control. Exactly. Let, let's focus for a moment on the genetics of the condition. They, they are interesting. And like I said in my introduction, we all know of a family where covid flew through the household but one person emerged unscathed. In fact, one person when everybody else had tested positive one person resolutely tested negative. That's obviously worth researching, and that's what you are researching.
9: Yes, yes. Um, I've been interested in this for quite a while and some of your listeners will will know the, um, the anti-D story where women got um, contaminated anti-D back in the 70s. Yes. And uh, a whole lot of work was done on the women who became infected. But I was always really interested in the fact that it was clear that um, many women got contaminated, HCV contaminated anti-D and did not become infected with HCV. And so that started me down the road on trying to figure out what is it about the immune system of people who do not get infected with a virus uh, what, what, first of all how does it happen and then what can we how can we use that knowledge to help people who do get infected
4: now you're working with experts around the world and already you've discovered a few things in in layman's yes. terms what are they
9: well, well, we haven't actually made a discovery yet about the uh, sensitivity or uh, about the resistance to the disease. The group that we're working with started off looking at um, the genetics of those who get very sick. And this group is led by Jean-Laurent Casanova, who's based in the Rockefeller in New York and in um, the Pasteur in Paris. And there's about 80 groups around the world, including ourselves here in Ireland, that are part of this group. And in the first instance, they collected DNA from people who got very severely ill and made very important discoveries that um, there's a, a genetic change in the gene that codes for a very important molecule in the f- first part of the um, immune response mm. in people who get very severely ill. And also another very interesting um, discovery, a second big paper was produced in, in Science, which showed that 15 percent of people who get very severely ill make autoantibodies so it's kind of like they develop almost their immune system starts reacting against themselves against type 1 interferon, which is a really important protein for helping us fight against viruses. So those were all the discoveries those were discovered they're still you know, so hold on may,
4: well, it, in layman's terms, professor, is that it's, what it's, so does this mean that in some people who get really, really sick, their yes. body also develops some kind of immune response to the medicine?
9: not to the medicine not to the medicine to their own yeah well kind of I suppose you could say their own um, molecules that's the other thing that we're trying to communicate is that the immune response against a virus is hugely complicated there are many many moving parts and many proteins involved but one of the most important ones that we have in our arsenal is what's called this type 1 interferon which we all produce in in significant amounts when we get infected with a virus be it a, a, a common cold virus or a flu or anything and it's really Really important protein that helps um, um, mediate mechanisms that sure. kill off the virus. Now it turns out that in some people, we so we make lots of it, and when we get very sick, we might make, make even more of it. But then, um, uh, when we get really, the people who are really sick or hospitalised, they it's like as if their immune system they're making so much of it that their immune system switches it off or something. Great. It's really quite extraordinary. Yeah, it's, really fas- it's extraordinary. fascinating
4: science, but obviously <laughs> there's there's a, there's a lot of stuff. To be discovered. So, so what is the oh, the hope of this research, Professor? Huge,
9: huge amounts. So that, that that's why the kind of um, the emergence of this group now interested in the resistance is looking at the other end of the spectrum. Is looking at is just as you very nicely introduced um, to try and explain why some people and again, as you say, everybody knows about them, and um, the people who were exposed to the virus several times but still did not get infected. Again, we think this has got to do with um, the innate system system and our work in the HCV people um, are, is supporting that. Um, we think that these people have got a very special, um, are kind of effective innate immune system, which is the immune system that kicks into action immediately, it encounters the virus. So this would be in the lining cells of your, of your lungs. Soon, As and the upper nasopharyngeal tract, mm. when the virus, when you breathe in the aerosol particles, the virus immediately tries to get itself into your epithelial cells because it's trying to replicate. It can't survive outside of the open. Yeah. It needs to get into your cells to replicate. And so we actually are all um, equipped with um, great defence mechanisms, even in those epithelial cells. So that's a whole thought of the immune system that people aren't fully aware of, yeah. that we have antiviral mechanisms in those epithelial cells, and we think that's where um, the first success happens in these people. So they never actually, the virus never actually can get a foothold It never gets
4: to bed down in their bodies, which is where they don't develop a a, and and presumably they don't develop a viral load either, or do we know that?
9: That's the point. Oh no, no, no. That would be the whole point. These people, the virus just can't replicate. So they wouldn't develop a viral load, any viruses in their bodies. And because they, this is the other interesting thing, because they don't get any viruses into their bodies, they don't actually make an adaptive immune response against the virus. So they won't have antibodies against them. They don't need the antibodies, their body has managed to get rid of the virus before ever it got into the body so, inside the body. You know?
4: So again my, my inner science student from many years ago <laughs> is asking the next question <laughs> Professor, yeah. Isn't there some terribly exciting medical implications there if we could isolate why the why some human bodies if, oh, do this?
9: Exactly. that's the whole thing. That's exactly it. If we can if we can get the secret of this, then maybe we can make better vaccines. That's exactly right. And but there's a whole lot of other science to be done about it, because um if we try to boost the immune system that are actually on the surfaces, that's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. As you know, our current vaccines are injected into us, and where the immune response happens is in our limbs nodes, which are congra- uh, conglomerates of um, immune cells dotted around our bodies. And that's what makes the antibodies. But um, this discovery, or if we make this discovery, we haven't made it yet. Yes. Uh, but we're on our way to collecting the people. We have to have very, very clearly defined people. So please, um, if I can say it don't inundate us with, with um, offers, even though we will be very grateful of offers. I know, yeah. We have very particular people that we have to... Um, uh, Identify like first it, it, to, is, uh, it is. It is
4: hugely data. exciting science, but there's a lot of work to do exactly, yet.
9: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Now we have we have a nice website, the Viral Resistance Project. If people want to um, find out more about us, just Google Viral Resistance Project and okay. you'll see it. And there's a little okay. bit there about the HCV work as well.
4: There's a lot of talk about the vaccines fading, and it looks almost inevitable that eventually we'll all probably have to get a booster. They've said we're going to start giving it to the over sixties very soon, we all probably have to get. Could there be again something genetic here in that in some of us it'll fade faster than others for genetic reasons?
9: Yeah, absolutely. There's another. There's very good. There's um, uh, very good reason to think that, and we're studying that amongst healthcare workers in St James's Hospital. Exactly that question: Why is it that some people make a stronger, longer-lasting immune response than others? It may also be to do. It may be possible that we may be able to make a vaccine um, that uh, that does um, induce persistent immunity. We know this variation. It's also to do with the virus itself. We know this variation in other viruses, like. Um, you know we get mmr when we're children and yet we're we're protected for essentially our lifetimes if, if we get the vaccine in childhood and yet um we know from flu that we need to get a new um uh, a new uh, vaccine every year so it's to do as well with the virus to both things you're making a really good point it's to do with the immune systems and the immunogenetics the genetics that control the immune systems of individuals and also the the virus itself
4: because as, as a former science student i i am endlessly excited by the level of research going on in this country. I really, really appreciate being with us uh, this morning. Um, Can
9: I make just one point again, uh, when we talk about the boosters and what's happening in this country, PJ? um, We need to stay cognizant of the fact this virus is all around the world. And and our vaccines, this is why when you say, why are we doing worse than other countries? We're doing astonishingly better than a whole lot of countries around the world. There are so many countries that have no access to vaccines, whose healthcare work... I mean, there's heartbreaking stories coming from the hospitals in many, many countries around the world, where the healthcare workers are just are are, are dying, and loads of people are dying. And I really think Ireland should be um, taking leadership on this and trying to find a way to get the technology so that other countries can make make the, the vaccines.
4: All right, listen, it's, it's been a pleasure to have you on the opinion line this morning. Professor Cliona O'Farrelly, Professor of Comparative Immunology at Trinity College in Dublin. Thank you very much, Professor. Really, really exciting research and exciting science as we try to deal with this blasted thing uh, into the future. You will remember. I'm about to talk about something distressing. By the way, just to, to let you know, As some people may find our next conversation distressing. You'll remember that I spoke uh, last month to uh, to. to um, I right. oh, beg your pardon. I've just had a brain freeze. I'll come back to it. Last last week we, we spoke. To our, we were talking about the prime, the RT Investigates program on the incineration of babies organs at Cork University Maternity Hospital and we spoke after that programme to Leona Birmingham one of the mothers uh, involved in that the report had revealed that organs from 18 babies were sent with clinical waste for incineration in Belgium on two occasions in 2020 and a number of Families have now come forward to dispute things that were said by Cork University Maternity Hospital at the time. And I'm joined by Aoife Hegarty, RT Investigates reporter who broke this story last month. Aoife, good morning to you. Good morning. Let us go into the new developments since we last spoke.
10: Well, PG, as you say, in that programme last month, we showed that despite HSE guidelines, which are very clear that say if any organs are retained at post mortem stage, that they're to be dealt with by one of two ways only, and that's burial or cremation. So I think people were horrified when they realised these organs from 18 babies had been sent for incineration without their parents' knowledge. Now, at that time, the HSE, Cork University Hospital, and CUMH, All said that affected families had been told of those incinerations last May when they engaged in an open disclosure process. And that process was to include an initial phone call where parents were to be informed of what had happened and they were to be offered an apology and support services. And those phone calls were then to be followed up with a registered letter. Mm-hmm. But since our report, we've now had contact with a further five families and they're all contradicting that version of events. In fact, they say that the first they learned of exactly what had happened, to the organs of their babies was when they watched our report last month. And um, now one of the, the new families that, that we heard from, we featured on Prime Time last night. Her name is Katie Quilligan. Mm-hmm. Uh, her baby son, James, died at Uh, 24 weeks in January last year at CUMH she consented to a post-mortem and for his medical, his organs to go forward for medical research so that he could help other babies. But her wish was that when that process was complete, that his organs would be buried by the hospital in CUMHS Garden of the Angel's Plot in Curricupon. And until recently, that's exactly what Katie thought had happened. Um, she says she did get a phone call from the hospital last May, but she says incineration was never mentioned as part of that call and furthermore she says while she got another call the night before our broadcast last month she again maintains that there was no mention of the fact that baby james's organs had been sent to a facility in belgium to be incinerated and she says the picture only became clear for her when she saw reports about our program online
4: yeah yeah and she mentions in last night's um program that she heard on various media including ourselves here at 96 of M what had happened and there was a great, great shock there's another couple Aoife based in based now in Australia to whom this was a shock
10: Yeah, so this couple, they wish to remain anonymous, but they are originally from Cork. But as you say, they're now living in Australia. Their baby daughter was still born at 25 weeks in CUMH in November 2019. Now, once again, they do report that they also received a call In May last year but they say it was not explained to them that their baby's organ had been incinerated and in fact they came away from that call thinking its purpose was about an entirely different matter. What's more they say a call that they received from the hospital on the morning of the report again didn't clearly explain the subject matter to them and ultimately they learned about what happened their baby's organ on social media. Now the couple, they say they've been treated horrifically with a total lack of respect, and they feel they've been completely miscommunicated to. And last night we heard about the fact that, you know, these revelations have opened up very raw wounds for them, and mm. um, and that's been made worse by the fact that they're so far away from any family support. And um, so as a result, they have been seeking help from the HSE in the form of wanting to get a letter from the hospital that they can submit to the Australian government to get a special exemption to travel home because the area they live in and in Australia is currently in a lockdown Now, yeah, um, just earlier this week after we submitted a series of questions to the HSE the family got an email to say that that letter would now be forthcoming, but I understand that as of yet, uh, that letter has not yet been received.
4: Lastly, Aoife the COMH HSE, has it issued any response to the, the latest revelations from your work?
10: Yeah yeah, they, they issued a statement uh, to us yesterday. And at the South Southwest Hospital Group, Cork University Hospital and CUMH, they reiterated their apology to all 18 families, saying they're truly sorry for the additional distress this incident has caused. Um, now, in relation to um, the, the Australian couple's situation, uh, they said it's not HSE policy to comment on individual cases. But they did say that the phone calls made to affected families last year were made by experienced clinical bereavement specialists and they categorically confirm that all families were informed that incinerations of organs had occurred um, but that this was not in line with what the service had given them to expect would, would happen, which was that the organs were to have been buried. Now that statement does also concede that families were not told during those calls where exactly the incinerations had taken place.
4: All right. All right. Thank you for being with us on the opinion line this morning. That is Aoife Hegarty, uh, RT Investigates reporter, covering this very distressing story um, of the uh, incineration of babies' organs with clinical waste, a baby who died at COMH. If you need any help, you can call the miscarriage.ie helpline at 086 86 84 103 or firstlight.ie have a 24-hour helpline 1850-391-391.
1: 1850-391-391. Can we just talk?
4: The Opinion Line on
1: Cork's 96FM. With
2: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C-M-I-G Get ready to meet the Cork's 96FM Street
1: Fleet. Heading your way soon.
2: The Big Drive Home on Cork's 96FM This Friday the show is live from Douglas Court Shopping Centre to celebrate their autumn winter fashion looks for all the family. Follow us across our social media pages to find out more and join me live this Friday from 4pm. Douglas Court Shopping Centre where you're spoiled for choice this autumn winter fashion season. DouglasCourt.ie Only on Cork's 96FM
4: Here's an interesting message that came in there in the last while. I was at a restaurant yesterday. The waitress didn't ask for my COVID cert. I took it out to show it to her, and she said, Guanso. I mean, what kind of an attitude is that? I didn't enjoy my meal at all then, thinking that maybe I was now in a nest of anti-vaxxers. I had gone into one of the most dangerous places possible. Venues are not thinking this out at all. I would think two or three times now before dining out again. And John, they can't stop you from moving around. Go to the Jacks. If you're stopped, tell him you're already in there. As for not asking for certs, people should mind their own business. I wouldn't walk out. I drink in pubs where people aren't vaccinated. I'm vaccinated and have no problems with them. Goes to show they don't work. And Brian says, hey, PJ, COVID certs are a joke. Definitely 80% of venues I've been to have not checked my cert. Everyone and their dog knows this is standard around the country. And to remind us of what the Taoiseach said on one last evening about vaccine certs, I wonder, would anybody actually do this over the weekend if you're going, not necessarily going to the jazz, just going for a bite to eat or going to the pub for a few pints or whatever, or maybe dropping in for a sandwich at lunchtime? Do you know, what? here's what Mihal Martin said on one last night.
5: I think there's a responsibility on all of us. If I'm going into a restaurant and someone doesn't, Look for your COVID search. We should ask and say, "Why aren't you looking for my you COVID search?" Um, yes, I would if 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 it's not safe, because we, we we simply because what we're doing is to enable reopening, and we've done that successfully since early spring. We've enabled the reopening of the economy and the reopening of society to such an extent that the economy has come back faster and in a more productive way than we would have anticipated two months ago. And
4: Professor Farrelly, who was on me uh, before ten from uh, Trinity College was making a similar point. She said, in other parts of Europe, they just accept the cert. They just do it. They just produce it. And there's no messing around and faffing about, I'm paraphrasing her words. Maybe that's one of the reasons we've got such a problem, is this casual, lackadaisical, half-arsed attitude, both on our part and the part of the people in the venues, to the COVID cert. I appreciate your thoughts. 1850 715 But around 300,000 cancer screenings were delayed last year as a result of the impact of COVID because testing programs were suspended in March 2020. This was put before in Roctis Health Committee on Tuesday. Uh, and of course the cyber attack on the HSC's systems in May of this year also had a devastating effect on the continuation of uh, cancer services and cancer screening. I'm joined on the line by Professor Seamus O'Reilly. Who's an oncologist at COH and the co chair of Cork ARC and has been on the opinion man before? Professor, good morning to you.
11: Good morning. Good, good morning. To
4: speak, good to speak to you again. Thank you. That's a very stark figure. Around 300,000 screenings delayed. Now, if even 10% of those came up with a positive result, that's an awful lot of cancer missed.
11: Yes. I mean, the. When this all started, there was concern that if you disrupted the service for six months that you would see increased cancer deaths for a decade. And and obviously we, it's been disrupted for even longer than that, at least a year, possibly longer when you take all of the delays, COVID and the cyber attack into, uh, into account. So the, those patients, those uh, women are now back into the screening programs in, and, and also colorectal cancer, which we screened for as well has been similarly affected. So th- those programs are starting to, 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 to ratch rack up again, but we will lose the gains that we've made in cancer survival. The, the data from uh, the European Cancer Organization has shown that, uh, the, the, you know, year on year, we've had improvement in cancer outcomes for breast and colorectal cancer, which are the big cancers and cervix cancer, which are the big cancers we screen for. And uh, so we're going to lose some of the benefits with that. So the sooner the programs get back up and running, Uh, the better. And um, now we're seeing more COVID impact on our health service again, increasing number of people in intensive care units, increasing numbers in our community. Mm. And we're also seeing breakthrough in patients, you know, in healthcare staff who have been vaccinated before. We were all vaccinated in in January. So we're starting to see the impact of staff shortages again now, which we weren't before. And Mm. And I would also say that this would apply in general practice as well. I mean, they, they, they you know, they have similar issues to us and are, are at least as vulnerable as we are because their staffing issues are much greater. I mean, um, for many of your listeners today, it's an, it's a question of, you know, for some, it's a question of when, when they can get an appointment with their GP. But for many, it's a question of when they can get a GP. And yeah. uh, so we need, uh, you know, having a, a fragile. Our, fra- our health system is fragile, and having our workforce fragile uh, 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 it compounds that. So I, right. I would hope that they would look at vaccinating of healthcare workers, all healthcare workers, including general practice and general practice staff, as a priority, because I think, you know, to deal with these backlogs and to to have have the service functioning and to try and reduce the suffering of the million people that are on waiting lists. At the moment, we need a functioning, you need people to see patients. So, uh, uh, and the the less affected we are by COVID, the better. Do
4: I take it, therefore, Um, that you were disappointed, Professor, to hear from the National Immunisation Advisory Committee, NIAC, that they were going to give the green light for vaccinating the over 60s, but, but they didn't. Uh, talk tall about revaccinating healthcare workers with a third dose you were disappointed with that i take it
11: yeah i i think so i mean i'm not a I'm not a virologist and i i know that there are multiple layers of in de- these decision makings and there's a complexity with them and age is our biggest vulnerability in terms of covid and many healthcare workers will be over 60 who are you know who will be fall into this group so that's wonderful but i think um but I, I, I just I need to shout for my tribe, and um, I, I feel that uh, I see in our in my working practice, patients uh, being vulnerable to COVID, and I, I, and so it's great that they're being on the list for boosters. But we're seeing healthcare staff who are affected by COVID and service impact, service deliveries impacted by that. And and uh, it's it, it, the other aspect I would also say is that it's important that our healthcare environment is safe for patients to come into, mm. and if the staff are vaccinated that transformed things in January, February of this year um, in terms of delivery of care and safety of care in our hospitals. And I, I, I'm just concerned that our vaccination is wearing off now because we were vaccinated a long time ago and uh, and that our system, you know, we need that level of service delivery and service safety that will come with uh, with boosters for staff. Can I just go back to something you were talking about just before I, you I came online about, about restaurants sure. and vaccination shirts sure. and that? So. An economics paper came out um, last month, and it showed that the the, the better you control COVID in in a society, the less impact it has financially on that society. When they looked at stock markets and COVID-related debts. So the better the the society performed in in terms of COVID protection, the better the economy did. And so for the restaurants and that, we all need the restaurants to stay open and, and for life to get back to normal again. And the more adherence there is to these guidelines of vaccination certs, the, the safer it is for people to feel that they can come to restaurants, the safer it is for the re- for, for staff in the restaurants, the more people will attend, the, the better, the the more vibrant the, the system will be and the more sustainable it will be. So these certs are, are there to protect everybody, including the staff in the restaurant, but also to protect the economy and to protect their jobs. So I would agree with the comments made that, about requesting why wasn't the start to asked for because if it's not asked for it means that we're we're vulnerable and it means that people are less likely to to, to use the services and it means that the that uh, the economic impact on that business is, is likely to be greater and and longer than it should be mm. so these systems are in place to protect and the, the second shout out i'd also give is that for people who are we, we're still seeing people coming who need chemotherapy who haven't been vaccinated um, who are newly diagnosed with cancer, and I would encourage people who are listening today who haven't been vaccinated to think and reflect: Is this a good idea? I'm conscious that in, when people go on social media, a lot of the times they're going down a track of of of, uh, of an algorithm, uh. Uh, which reinforces the, whatever beliefs they started off with, yeah. um, and and uh, and we can we can all become victims of that of that being of that boxed in. Uh, uh, algorithms mm-hmm. that reinforce what you, you'll understand.
4: find what you want to find is what it, you
11: find something. what you want to find you associate with people who are who are like you but we're still seeing tremendous suffering in our community as a result of COVID 19 if people aren't vaccinated they protect themselves and they protect others by by being vaccinated mm-hmm. and uh, they protect their family they protect they protect society so mm-hmm. I would encourage those who are sitting on the fence uh, the services are there to get vaccinated it's free of charge uh, it has transformed our society uh, in the last um, six months, mm-hmm. and uh, and will keep us safe. And you know, because yeah. it's going to be another two or three years of uh, where COVID is uh, impacts yeah. things. Global vaccination won't complete till 2023.
4: You made the point of the fragility of the health service. And can you imagine how fragile and how much trouble we'd be now if we didn't have the level of vaccination that we do have? And t- Enormous. T- yeah. Just to put something to you that's coming on the phone, uh, Professor, uh, someone that a listener looks after, a friend of hers, was due for a breast check last year. Yes. But was told she'd be called October 21. The call never came. She then contacted them and they said they'd get back to her. They said it was too late now because she'd reached 70. Should she be worried about that? She is worried and so is the person who called us.
11: I I mean, the the guidelines are for breast check to stop at 70 and it may be that someone could, you know, that her GP, uh, she could laser with her GP and maybe contact the local breast service to get a final mammogram done. I mean, that would be my feeling about it, listening to... The conversation today. I think there would be security in having that final mammogram performed. Yeah. That would be my, that would be my feeling. People who would have you aged, know,
4: who would have aged out, if you want, of yes. breast check, they 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 would be very concerned. And I think there'd be a lot of people. Yeah. Lastly, Professor, who would be concerned, who were waiting for scans and waiting totally. for tests, and could you address those for, for a moment? You are and your staff are doing your level best to catch up, are you not?
11: Yes, because the the if you, you have to have a catch-up because if you don't have a catch-up uh the impact of all that's gone on for the last 18 months will will continue and get worse so unless you have a catch-up strategy then you're you know the 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 worsened outcome cancer outcomes that occur uh, that will have occurred because of the delays will 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 perpetuate so you need a catch-up strategy but yes every, everybody is we're very conscious of this and that's why it's important for covid to remain suppressed in our in our society i mean i know that people have talked about the fact that our icu capacity is still just still capacity in our icu system but there's a huge opportunity cost to the volume of 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 covid illness in our icus each icu bed requires nine nurses to staff you know nine specialist nurses highly trained and those are you know it, when you when you divert one service to uh, um, uh, to COVID and um, then you take from other services like elective cancer surgery like hip operations like cataract surgeries etc so the more we can control COVID in our society the more people that are vaccinated the less COVID will have an impact on our health service and the better we'll be able to catch up with this with all of the of the disruption that has occurred in the last 18 months and I, I think that there's an awful lot of suffering out there with uh, with people on waiting lists and hip replacements and cataract operations that have been deferred or delayed. So the the um, the more we control COVID in the community by adhering to these guidelines that we have in terms of certificates, et cetera, and vaccination, uh, the, the better it will be for our communities. All right,
4: greatly appreciate you. As always, giving time to the opinion line, Professor Seamus O'Reilly, oncologist at CUH. 1850 715 strong words. There's a man on the front line, of cancer treatment. They're so far behind because of the impact of COVID on the health service. He is pleading with people to observe the passes. He is pleading with people who haven't been vaccinated to get vaccinated because the better we do in suppressing this, the better we can do in catching up with the cancer backlog. It's as simple and as plain as that.
1: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM with
2: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk?
1: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now
2: 1850 715 996 on Corks
4: 96 FM. Following the story of Nadim on the opinion line over the last few weeks. You will remember how distressed he was in his first appearance on the programme talking about his fears of being deported back to India where he fears he would be in serious trouble and possibly in danger of being killed. Uh, He left there in 2018 after his parents died in riots and he, he has fears, huge fears. And he's put in for leave to remain in this country And he's very anxious that that be processed as quickly as possible. And he's on hunger strike now, the poor devil, for the last few days to try to push his application for leave to remain and try to get to be allowed stay here. Where, let us remind ourselves again, he worked throughout the pandemic. He worked in security and he worked in fast food worked and paid his taxes and he's just looking to stay here where he's made friends and put down roots. The matter was raised in the Dáil last evening by uh, Cork Solidarity TD McBarry. He
12: appealed for leave to to remain on the grounds that his life would be in danger were he to be deported back to India. He commenced a hunger strike last Thursday, taking liquids but refusing food. Tonight is the sixth night of his hunger strike. Minister, as you know, physical and mental impairment can begin within two to three days of the commencement of a hunger strike. Nadim's GP has already expressed his concerns in this regard, I think particularly relating to his kidneys and particularly relating to the circumstances even in the next couple of days. Despite this, there would be no justification for force feeding this man, Uh, but he claims that energy drinks were force-fed to him by centre staff yesterday. It's a claim that he's made. Now, a solution to this situation must be found instead on the basis of agreement. I'm asking you a straight question. Are you willing to talk to this man? Or at the very least, are you willing to have a senior official from your department do so? I would suggest in the morning.
4: Mick, the, the, Nadim has been informed through this programme and by the Six office itself that until such time as his application is processed, no one is going to come to throw him out in the, in the middle of the night and that he should rest assured of that for, for the moment. But one can appreciate why that's not really enough for him and he wants it processed and he wants it processed quickly. Good morning.
12: Good morning, uh, PJ. Uh, how are you? Good. Um, Yes, I, I think it is factual to say uh, that Nadim is not uh, under immediate short-term uh, risk of deportation uh, back to India, um, but I think you have to try and put yourself in another person's shoes in this situation, uh, and I could only imagine uh, how it would play on my mind uh, if that was uh, any kind uh, of a threat uh, given um the reports of 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 what happened with his parents okay mm. um it probably illustrates uh, a, a bigger issue and i think nadim would probably agree with this uh that we have you know uh more than 7000 people in the direct provision system and more than 8000 asylum seekers uh, in the country the government have tacitly admitted that the system is not fair. They've tacitly admitted that by saying that they propose uh, to dismantle it within a number of years. Why mm. would you dismantle it unless there were major problems with it? But they're asking these asylum seekers to wait. Um, and in the meantime, uh, people are extremely frustrated under huge mental pressure. Uh, and you have situations like this uh, mm. that can arise.
4: And the minister of the day does have... Uh effectively, executive powers here, do they not?
12: The Minister of the Day, as I understand it, do have exist- uh, executive powers and can sign an order um, uh, that someone would have uh, the right to remain within the country. Uh, in the Dáil last night, I didn't even uh, ask the Minister to take that step. Mm. Uh, the step that I asked the Minister to take was to speak to the man who, let, let's remind ourselves, uh, living here in Cork City is now on the seventh day of a hunger strike. And if he was not prepared to do that, then at the very least that he would organise for a senior official from his department uh, to do so. I have to say I'm not confident on that front. Uh, there was a prepared speech read last night. There was no give, no flexibility, um, no sense of the human situation. Uh, that we're dealing with here and I think it may be the case actually that the the challenge is more for uh, anti-racist uh, and anti-deportation campaigners in the city there are people with experience of campaigning and fighting on these issues to try and convince Nadim that there is an alternative way uh, to fight this issue in other words that if he were to step back from the hunger strike that he wouldn't be stepping back from the fight, against deportation, Mm. but there would be different ways and different tactics uh, that could be used, not just for him, because it's very difficult to have an individual fight. This can be uh, a broader campaign. For example, we have the Singh family uh, in the city, which I think you're familiar with. I
4: spoke to Reminder on uh, Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, Monday, I think. Yeah,
12: Yeah, so Reminder is uh, living here with his uh, wife. He's living here with his uh, uh, daughter, age 22, and his two sons age 20 and 18. They have roots in the community here in Cork. Um, The daughter is training to be a beautician, uh, wants to set up her own business. Uh, One of the sons plays for the Cork County cricket team, wants to play for Ireland. Uh, And another one is a talented musician uh, in a group. Um, The family achieved a degree of, uh, I suppose, small-scale fame during the pandemic when they went out on Patrick Street. Uh, and these marvellous masks, colourful masks right. that they created, they distributed them free of charge. I mean, these people are people who have uh, worked here, worked here in a difficult time of a pandemic and have shown that they can make, like Nadim, I think, a contribution to uh, a society. So there needs to be a campaign, um, you know, for the rights uh, of these people. Mm who are often marginalised and uh, neglected.
4: Nick, there are those who would say that there's a process and it may be slow and it may be cumbersome, but the process is the process and they can just, they, they just have to, to work with it.
12: Yeah, well, there's another process that has been put on the table here, uh, which is that uh, the government have announced that they're going to have an amnesty of sorts uh, for undocumented workers. Now, an undocumented worker uh, would be, you know, say, for example, someone from the United States who came here uh, on a holiday visa, et cetera, et cetera, and stayed uh, and they're working away without their papers and so on. And because there is a labour shortage and a skills shortage uh, in the country, the government are talking about a package uh, for undocumented workers to be announced sometime between here and Christmas. Okay. (laughs) now I suspect it may not go far enough and that they may insist that people have been here for five years or more. But we can debate the ins and outs of that. There is some package being put there for undocumented workers. They have tacitly admitted that the arrangements for asylum seekers are unfair. They've done that by pledging to dismantle the direct provision system within a number of years. All right. It's not acceptable, I think, that people like Nadim and the Singh family are being asked to wait a whole number of years. Why not put a package together for our asylum seekers this side of Christmas and do the two at the one time?
4: Okay. All right. Leave it there for today. Thank you very much, Mick Barry, Solidarity TD for Cork North Central. It's a story we are following, the story of Nadim, who is on the seventh day, as Mick said, of his hunger strike. A hunger strike that, when he suggested to me on the air here, when he was on with me the very first day, I pleaded with him not to do it. I said, the only one he'll hurt is himself. And I stick with that view. The only one that Nadim is hurting is Nadim by taking this hunger strike. But he feels that he's got no other option. You cannot imagine, can you? what it must feel like to feel that you're in that position
13: can we just
1: talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM with
2: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. Cmig.ie.
1: Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your
2: guide to nightlife on Leaside.
1: Hi, it's Michael
14: here with an update on Corks Entertainment. Over the last couple of years, Ben Nicky has become one of dance music's busiest and strongest-selling DJs in the world, racking up three million kilometers travelled over the last four years across 45 countries Ben has announced a special Cork show for one night only taking place in Cypress Avenue on Saturday November 6th
1: Access All
2: Areas The
14: biggest selling comedian at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival Jason Burns inspired original brand of high energy lunacy ensures there's no other comedian quite like him Jason returns to Cork to play City Limits Comedy Club on Friday October 29th with tickets on sale now from tickets.ie
1: Access All
14: Areas Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at
5: aaa at 96fm.ie access all areas your guide to nightlife
2: on the side
1: on
2: quarks 96fm can we just
1: talk the opinion line with pj coogan
2: text or whatsapp now 083 396
1: 96, 96 on quarks 96fm
4: One of my favourite events in the whole year, and I've been privileged to be involved with it now for quite some time, is Teen Idol. Uh, I have great fun around the end of every November um, hosting the the grand final of Teen Idol Cork. Of course, we couldn't do it last year because of the uh, COVID-19 restrictions, but it's back, Liz Cosgrove. Good morning.
8: Good morning, PJ. How are you today? Good. good. We're back. <laughs> we're back. We're back, thank God. It's fantastic to be back, really. Um, we've had the kids on trust us since last year. Oh, when are you going to come back and all that? So we're just taking the plunge now, and um, and we're having auditions in the, in the Rochester Park on the 7th of November at 2 o'clock. Uh, so looking forward to that. Uh, They're walk-ins, they're walk-in auditions, uh, they're free of charge, Mm. we don't charge anything for them Um, and the teen teen category is from 13 to 18 and as you know in the last five years we've brought in a junior category from 7 to 12 which is absolutely fantastic as well.
4: It's amazing actually, there's always at every final uh, every year, since you brought, there's always one showstopper who's only about eight, and you go, oh my God, look at that. <laughs>
8: Yeah, yeah, and it's unbelievable because when we decided to do this, uh, the, the junior one, uh, we kind of were only doing it really for a bit of fun because they, all the young kids, sometimes they were dressing up and pretending they were thirteen; they were only ten, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, we were absolutely, completely shocked at the talent that's out there in both the senior and the junior category. So, um, you know, some of our, uh, you know, some of our teens, even over the years, like we're nineteen years doing it this year. Next year will be our twenty. The anniversary, and um, you know a lot of our teens have gone on to do uh, great things. Uh, some of our teens didn't go down the music route, but it just gave them the confidence to move on in whatever career path they chose. But you the know, one, the
4: one we mention is the double Grammy-nominated Roy Buckley.
8: Yes. Absolutely, we're so proud of Roy. We really are. He's an amazing young man. He won it when he was only 16 years of age. I suppose it was probably the first probably big stage for him uh, to start off his career. Um, and we were just glad to have some small, very, very small partners. But uh, we are very proud of Roy and we've uh, lots of other young people. Fusion, uh, yes. they're a band from Clannock Kilty. They, um, they signed a contract with, with the UK label um, there last year. So they're working away hard. So um so look you know we're very proud of our competition it's it's a fun competition everything in it is positive hmm. uh, we don't give any negativity at all uh, we have voice coach, coaches coming in uh, you know in the mornings to rehearse them and uh, they make great friends it's just a great fun competition and we love being part of it
4: yeah and it's great to have it back on again so the auditions are 7th of November in Roachesham Park 2 o'clock I take it everything will be done COVID compliant and all of that oh,
8: absolutely. I, yeah, absolutely and just one other thing there PJ we, um, we actually didn't get any sponsor this year we have of course the good of music which come on board every year and in fairness town Park have been very good to us now as well for this year uh, but we it, because we went so quick to do it this year because of course with the rules and regulations we didn't know where we stood really with the COVID situation so we really are hoping that maybe some local Cork business might come on board with us this year and maybe help us with a bit of sponsorship so if anyone is interested just get onto to our Cork Teen Idol page or maybe just contact station or you okay. can give them my number, we would be delighted to have somebody on board to help the young talent of Cork really.
4: Okay, looking forward once again to being part of it Liz, uh, it's great great to see Teen Idol back auditions November the 7th, thanks Liz Cosgrove, no, uh, November the 7th auditions at Rochester Park Hotel at 2 o'clock from the 7 to 12's and the 13 to 18's it's great fun, I'm so looking forward to getting back into that
13: Can we just
1: talk Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with
2: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
1: The two grand minute
2: is Corks' biggest breakfast cash giveaway. <laughs> Listen to play at
1: 740 and 840 every day on
2: Corks 96 <laughs> FM.
1: Sure? Yes. Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Oh, cash. Oh,
2: oh, my God. Oh,
1: oh. the winner. There you go, go, go.
2: The Two Grand Minute with phones. Your Irish SIM-free specialist for 12 years. Any SIM, any network, any country. Phones.ie.
1: Casey and Ross in the morning. I
2: actually don't believe it. On Cork's 96FM.
1: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
2: Call us
1: now, 1850-715-996. On Courts 96 FM.
4: Just had a call there from uh, Fiona, who's not with us today, but she just messaged us in to say that Nadim has told her that he's now fearful that his kidneys might be failing. That is most unfortunate to hear. I, I, I do repeat that when I said when he was on with me uh, at the very start of his campaign, I suggested to Nadim that you know going on hunger strike the only person he'd hurt would be himself, but he feels so desperate that that's what he is doing. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. The Cork County Public Participation Network is seeking participants. Carol Harper. What is the Cork County Public Participation Network. Good morning to you.
15: Good morning, Peter. How are you? Um, yeah, so, right. I've got the impossible job here of explaining something that's quite complicated, but we'll take it step by step, okay. OK, because it's like a new technology. You don't have to know everything. We'll just we'll just ease in and get to know it little by little. Okay. So basically, it's, um, it's a statutory body. So it was made by the government in 2014 when they changed the local government around. So it was something that came out of that. So every local authority has a public participation network, and I'm uh, in, uh, on the a member of the secretary. What's called the Secretariat of the Cork County PPN. So we work. We're independent of Cork County Council, but we work very, very closely with them um, to, to create this network. So what it is is it's a, a network all of the non-profit community and voluntary groups from around the county so I'd like groups that would include like tidy towns and sports clubs and then also environmental groups and also we have a special section to encourage p- groups that are looking after minorities and then not, like those groups that are not that are often on on the margins so the social inclusion groups and they all join this organization called the Cork County PPN mm. and the idea is that we all come together and and we actually have um, a, a, like organised roles, so we're there to um, help with representation and to make sure really that that decisions that are being made that affect all of our lives um, involve the community at a grassroots level. Right. So we get a little bit of a representation for communities.
4: Yeah, are you like a community umbrella group that advises or liaises with county council?
15: Yeah, very much. But we actually um, like our role is actually uh, there in under the statutory in in law. So so we actually have protected roles in that um, we have voices on these committees where the policy is being developed for the county. So like all of those policies, they might seem like. You know it they're not totally relevant but you know when you put all of the policies together mm. that's that really shapes how our communities work how how you know and it, they should reflect the the values of of all of us across society and it, just to go back to what you're talking about this morning you know uh, like when you're working with with people across the especially Cork county because we're very proud of our county like people are people are fantastic you know people have the best of interests at heart. Hmm. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to come together as a group and you know harness all of our experience and all of our knowledge because we've fantastic community people, volunteers and groups out there. And bring that all forward onto the table where these policies are being made. Okay. So so what's going on there is you know, obviously, you know, there's an awful lot of compromise to go on when you're coming up with policy, and yeah. that's just part of the game. Yeah. But, you know, we, we believe that good compromises can be made and that they should come from these values that we hold yeah. as as a community in general. Now, it's easier said than done, but yeah. that's what we're going to try. And we're, so so we're who do you
4: need to join this, this committee? Going. There are 37 members.
15: Yes. No, there is 37 seats. So actually, listen, the PPN is has this very strange structure. It's really quite radical, right? Where nobody is in charge of the PPN, the PPN members are in charge of itself. So it's quite it's quite revolutionary, right? It's quite, quite radical out there. So this is how it works. This is why it takes a long time. It's taken us in the Secretariat over a year now to get this up and running. So the PPN members, all of those groups I talk about, so community associations, tidy towns, uh, Meals on Wheels, Men's Shed, all of those groups, and they're in charge of the whole thing. So they their their voice is what dictates what they do and what they don't do. And um, then that's brought together. And then we have these, these seats, which are very important because they're actually on local authority boards and committees, like you know, that, that these um strategic policy groups and our strategic policy committees, and they're reserved for people to come forward, anybody who's a member of the PPN can come forward now and be nominated to represent the entire um, entire county really sitting at the table and putting, putting um, you know, raising our issues and pushing them forward onto the agenda on, on what is a very, you know, crowded agenda with all sorts of demands. So, and so that they if, if, if
4: anybody wants to get involved in this and is sitting thinking, you know what, I, I'd like to be part of that, how do they do it?
15: Yeah, brilliant. So there's, we Yes, exactly. We have fab, fabulous skilled people with great enthusiasm and great ideas and the knowledge. So the first thing, their group should be signed up to the PPN. Now we have this dinky new website. It's absolutely fabulous. So if anybody has any um, uh, um, interest in it, it's corkcountyppn.ie. And it's really good at explaining how all of this works. And the next thing that's happening is we have this very big meeting on next Wednesday, and really anybody at all can come along to that and you will get a really good idea of how the whole thing works. So that's called the plenary meeting. So that's the meeting of all of these PPN members. Is that a real meeting or a is virtual one? Is, it has to be virtual now at the moment. Yeah, it does have to be, which is which is unfortunate because really a lot of, of these meetings and networking and everything that happens in person is brilliant, but it, we just have to go online this year at the moment and so that so everybody is really welcome to attend, and you'll get a really good picture of what this is, you know, because it's it's quite an unusual an unusual group. So like like the best thing to do is jump in okay. and see how how you get on with it, you know. So that's next Wednesday actually, next Wednesday evening.
8: Okay,
4: okay. And any anyway, any information on that can be had from www.corkcountyppn.ie, and that's Carol Harper from Glownton Community Association, who is on the PPN Steering Group. It's a new venture. Well, it's been around since 2014, but they're trying to get new members. And you'll be liaising day to day, week to week, month to month, with the decision makers in County Hall. If it's your bag, then that meeting next week, you'll get the details to corkcountyppn.ie. On the subject of Nadim. A message that says, PJ, if the government gives in to the hunger striker, it'll send a tre- set a trend for future claims. Governments round the world are very slow in giving in to hunger strikers. Jack wants to know with regard to the PPN, the Cork County Public Participation Network, grand. But does it actually have any power? Like, what do they get involved in? Like, will we get any more toilets or any more bins out of us? Tis a, a fair observation. 1850 715 We got some calls telling us the viaduct is jammed with emergency services and people wondering, has there been an incident or an emergency? No, it's a launch of National Slowdown Day, of which I'm sure you'll hear more in the news and possibly on the opinion line also. Reminding you furthermore, tomorrow, just covering things like COVID-19, I will be speaking once again on the programme as I have done a few times throughout the last uh, 20 months or so with Dr David Nabarro at the World Health Organisation to discuss where we are now and where we might go from here. Dr Nabarro has been a guest on the Opinion Line a couple of times and I'll be speaking to him again uh, live from Geneva from the headquarters of the World Health Organisation. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk?
2: Call 1850-715-996.
1: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
2: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
4: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
2: On Cork's 96FM. There's
4: been something of an update uh, in the course of the news bulletin on Nadim. Now, this is from the Twitter account of Abolished Direct Provision. Now, they say that their preparations being made to move Nadim to hospital in this the seventh day of his hunger strike. He's very weak, particularly worried about his kidneys, and possibly may up end up in hospital over the next few hours. Jerry says, Hi PJ, if there's a threat to Nadine's life by him going back to his home broad, then on UN humanitarian grounds, Ireland can't send him back. I'd plead to Nadim also to come off the hunger strike in the interest of his health and arrange with McBarry to see a department official. Brian then says, PGS, some of our own in Cork, who we should be deporting, who never work or try to contribute, not this poor man who makes an effort to work and pay taxes and doesn't expect anything for anything for free, like so many do in Cork, rent over for today says Brian, and Dermot on Twitter says, do you don't like the conditions? F off back where you came from. There are Irish families fighting hard to feed their children and thousands of homeless who eat once a day. Thing is, Dermot, he does like it here. He wants to stay here and work here and earn a living here and pay taxes here. So you got the wrong end of the stick completely. He does actually want to stay here. doing everything in his power to be allowed to stay here thank you for that 1850 715 996 now come back to the various restrictions that are being lifted or maybe not being lifted And, and look it's a confusing list it's a long and somehow confusing list and particularly the nighttime economy the various sectors of the nighttime economy were confused last evening and your newspapers are full of coverage this morning as to, I can do this, but I can't do that. And I can do this, and I can go there, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. And it's all very confusing. And the individual sectors last evening were all thrown in their own tuppence worth as to how it might affect them or how it might not affect them. Now, not everybody is as wonderfully practical as Bastian Perrault was down in the Imperial Hotel. And he said to me this morning on the opinion, he said, look, we'd prefer to have more, we're opening We've jazz, we've music, we've seated, all this, but last year we'd nothing, and that's his very, very practical approach to it. Last night, with regard to the various sectors, uh, the Taoiseach was on the Six One News, and he was asked about the various sectors and the approach, the approaches to government after the release yesterday afternoon of the new restrictions.
5: Yeah, you know, we have. Gradually and steadily reopen society and effectively and successfully as well, working with sectors. And I would say to the sectors, work with us over the next number of days. I understand the timelines are short and we will work this out just like we worked it out for hospitality during the summer. You remember all the rows and fury over the vac- the, the vaccination certificates yeah. into hospitality, big rows in the doyle, people s- screaming blue murder about that, yet it happened and it enabled the opening of hospitality. Sure. We want now to reopen these remaining sectors. We do accept their need for clarity, but please work with the Department sure. of Tourism and we'll work it out.
4: But, Senator Jerry Buttimer, they've been asked to do a whole lot in 48 hours. They had sold out venues with anticipation of one change in the restrictions. Now it's totally different and they're all confused. You can, you can see why they're up in arms, can't you? Good morning.
16: Good morning, PJ. Um, and can I just say that if you need my assistance in your previous case, I'd be happy to work with you uh, in ensuring that Nadim is, is 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 met and is treated fairly. It is important that we are a nation of welcome uh, and that we don't go down the road that happened before in this country. So I would be happy to work with you and, and all involved in that as well. Appreciate that, Jerry. Yes, y- yes, PJ. Look, it, it is extremely difficult for everybody in, in the nighttime economy and the hospitality sector. Um, I suppose what we need at this stage now uh, is 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 a bit of perspective and action, and I suppose first of all, we've had huge public buy-in in terms of the vaccination program, in terms of following public health advice, and there has been a clear call for the majority of the, the people to reopen the country in a safe manner. Mm. Uh, and if you look at what's happened, and and I I heard you during the week, uh, you know, interviewing different people about the trajectory of the virus, um, and, and I've met and spoken to people about this, public health experts and, and people far more qualified than I. This has taken a turn that nobody, you know, on the ground foresee. But the modelling did, did did say that we would move in a certain direction. Mm. So so government, and I accept completely, PJ, that it was late in terms of the, the letter from Neffert and the Neffert uh, you know, word of caution to last week and then over the weekend. But government, were faced with two options. Do we pause and see if things get better?
4: Mm.
16: Or do we do as we've done, which is to proceed with caution, mm. with safety in mind? And uh,
4: didn't recommend uh, a pause, Jerry.
16: No, recommend, but no recommend, Neffitt, no, that's the point, but that was, that was that could have been part of what they could have done. But Neffitt said, on balance, you know, mm. there was a word of caution. But my point, sorry, is, and I know you know it's a cliché to say this now, but look where we've been. We, in the past, you would have had this discussion: do we open or close? Now, that's no longer the, the binary choice. It's do we open with 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 different protocols? And mm-hmm. I fully accept, P.J. And I've met with people in the nighttime economy; they have had two years nearly of absolute nothing. Um, and 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 I hear your word confusion, and it is mixed messaging, um, but it's not mixed messaging in the context of trying to confuse people mm. this morning as we speak i take a simple, I
4: take a simple and not a, a thing that jumps out of all the newspapers this morning so I can go to my local in Douglas on Friday night and have a couple of pints and watch a band if I want to right but i got to sit at my table and enjoy my music sit at my table and yep. whatever if I go into a nightclub I can queue up at the bar at least that's yep. the reading of it
16: no, and, and and I have the same conversation, and I've had the same even in preparing for your interview, but even discussing with friends, family, colleagues, why? And and the, here's here's the key from my perspective is that this morning, Minister Catherine Martin is meeting with with the with the sector to to put in place protocols around that. It to, I, I think it's about public health, P.J. in the over in the over arching philosophies about public health you are right and it's it is it is conflicting for many of us that you can go into the for argument's sake i i can go into chambers uh, and i can dance and go to the bar yet two those up I, I have to go into a bar sit down and, and and get get um table service it is about the reservoir infection that's all around us I think that what we've all got to learn is we must now live with COVID and whatever that means hmm. and and helping us to live in, in a new normal, new life again. Yeah. Look, PJ, the, the reality is this, whether we like it or not. We well,
4: would would the Taoiseach have been better off just to give a few bullet points yesterday rather than going into detail and saying, look, we'll follow it up with each sector in turn in the next 24 to 48 hours, rather than, you know, allowing for all the confusion that's out there now. Like messaging is everything. If you don't have good messaging, you don't have good credibility. And unfortunately, people are looking at it now this morning, this is a mess.
16: Yeah, well, I suppose the the bottom line that, and, and, and in, your, in your audio clip there, he, he spoke about working with us. We have reopened society. This morning, if we had done a different approach, you would be on the programme with representatives of all different parts of the economy, Giving out that we've closed down. Lafayette this morning are closing down. We're re, we we we've reopened. And 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 I'm not trying to defend because there is now a clear need, PJ, for sector specific guidance and protocols mm. to put to put in place. Quickly. And, and look, quickly, Jerry. Absolutely. And and I suppose the bottom line here is, and, and, and here's an interesting point, PJ, that I think we should and, and I know you've had a conversation during the week on this. The the cohort of as an example of sixteen to twenty-nine age group, there are eight hundred and fifty thousand people in that age cohort. There are about 155,000 of those people who have not got vaccinated. So that puts people at risk. So my my, my point in in the over, in in our conversation is, one, vaccines work. Two, we must work with each other to be safe and to go back to things that we used to do at the beginning in terms of hand hygiene, mask wearing, social distancing, that have become a bit lax, uh, as this is in your programme, said, during the week. And, and what government have done is they've given consideration to everything and have opened with caution in terms of, and then mm. in tandem with that, we have the, the booster vaccination there is and i agree it's late to the game antigen testing being introduced, and and face masks we're very
4: late to a lot of games we're late to the antigen testing game we're late to the booster vaccines games we really do need to get our, our you know we really need to get up to speed a bit here
16: well we're late to the game in antigen testing and even though we've had it in third level we've had it in the meat factories we've had it in certain sectors and in, uh, in third-level education and other places as well. But we, we're we not late to the game in vaccine. We're not late to the game in, in public health. So to be in fair... the boosters, we you know, are. In the, well, in the boosters, there's a debate around the world about what we do with the booster in the context. And I think, look, from my perspective, we should be giving boosters to people over 60. We should be giving them to healthcare workers and to frontline workers. That should be done in yeah, why why do you think they were left out this time? Well, I don't know, is the honest answer, because I have been on and, and your programme. I was very strong about members of Ungari Shikana at the beginning, being part of that frontline yeah. group that got it first. But I think the bottom line here is, you know, we are at top of the class in terms of vaccination. There's also an element now that we must, all of us in tandem with the industry, take responsibility. Like we, we have 45,000 inspections since May. Uh, in enforcement, and there must be a level of self-enforcement as well, and there must be a level of 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 responsibility by business owners, but also by us as members of the public in how we behave and interact. Mm-hmm. And, and there will be anomalies, P.J. I think you know you worked in the late-time economy. There will be an there there will be anomalies. There is a grey area, but I hope that today's meeting with Catherine Martin. And the industry will clarify. Mm-hmm. There's a forum in our department, um, and with the teachers' department, uh, that will work out issues. But we need to plan to reopen. We've been, we've seen the country closed for, I think, is it 82 weeks that the, the nighttime economy has mm-hmm. been closed. Well, you see, just
4: it. People had made plans for this weekend. Plans acro- along a certain narrative, and 48 hours out, they find that whole narrative changed, and one can only, only hope that it'll, that those anomalies will be sorted out. Just bringing to the subject of the the COVID passes, which we thought we'd be doing away with this weekend and the enforcement thereof. We know the dogs in the street are telling us, Jerry, that very few places are actually being any way stringent at all with the vaccine passes. That has to change. Like, for example, if you went into a a restaurant for a boy to eat uh, and someone didn't ask you for your pass, what would you do?
16: I I would actually... It happened to me actually the other day. I was walking into a place and and I I produced my COVID pass before I was asked for it. Uh, And the person did ask for it eventually, but yeah, you're right, like, there must be, there must be by the HSC and the HSA... Would you have
4: been willing to leave if they if they didn't want it?
16: I, I would now, yeah, because I think from my perspective, it is about public health, it is about ensuring that we do follow guidelines and, and, and public health, and we must all learn from our mistakes in the past, PJ, and we must all ensure uh, that we that we don't put people at risk, Um, and, and that applies to how we... And you had the comments during the week about the school in in Ross. I think the minister was wrong to reopen the school. Yeah, I
4: was. Just, I actually forgot to mention that to listeners during the morning, Jerry. And 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 I, now that I now that I have a government representative on on the line, it's an opportunity. The school in Wexford that took a decision to close because of a major outbreak were effectively put under pressure by the Department of Education to open up again. Like that's not good uh, enough. Uh,
16: I think that was wrong uh, on the basis of what of the interview I heard by the principal on, on, on RT during the week uh, and her public health, uh, you know, worry and concern. And she acted in public health. But that's a matter for the Minister of Education who made a decision. I can't answer for her and the department. I know, there's, I know there is the policy there, but, you know, schools have proven to be. A place where the virus travels, and and people, both members of staff and students, have got COVID nineteen. <clears throat> but just to go back to your question, there there was three percent found to be non-compliant uh, in in the HSE HSA, uh, HSA um, checks, if you like. Two thirds of bars and restaurants are in compliance. And to be fair, if you look at around Cork City, for example, uh, the majority in, instantaneously will ask for the COVID cert. Uh, and we'll will ask for it to be produced automatically, and there will always be uh, a check in terms of you know the contact person. I I give you an example, P.J. I was over in, in if I'm allowed to mention a tile shop, Delphina Tiles in Kinsel Road last weekend, and and on the door going in there was a book uh, where you had to sign in with your name, uh, and I was impressed by that. This was a store that actually took public health to you know the level we were meant to take it to in terms of. Contact tracing, and I think we need to ensure that contact tracing continues. Um, we have 75 people this morning in ICU beds, PJ. Yeah. Now, uh, thankfully, we never ran out of oxygen, we never ran out of ventilators, no. we, we didn't run out of ICU beds, but the pandemic isn't over. That's the fundamental no. point.
4: Actually, well, now you've just led me down a road that I've been mentioning to my listeners over the last week, Jerry, comparing official HSE numbers that are published every day and a publicly accessible document in the course of October 20th 2020 to October 20th 2021 there's about 10 extra fully staffed ICU beds explain that one
16: well i, I i'm told and i haven't got the figures to hand that we have we have we have 800 extra beds 450 being used for covid there's a 7 to 8000 extra staff we have increased ICU beds um, there is a capacity issue, and I'm a former chairman of the Health Committee. I know, uh, and there, and there is a capacity of beds issue uh, that we need to look at. Uh, and I think part of uh, and in this city, and that's what making comes- us so
4: nervous, isn't it? As the ICUs start filling up, people get very nervous, and we end up with restrictions that we might not have had to have.
16: They do, and we are concerned, and we're right to be concerned. And and as you, I think it was your program I heard where the capacity in our in our emergency departments has been busier this autumn than it has been for quite some time. Um, there is a need, and 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 you will have a debate in your program in in a couple of weeks or a couple of months about the new elective hospital for Cork and where and not just where it will be, but how we will look and how it will be developed and what will its its mm. capacity and its its usage be. And and that's why I think we need to go back and look at the whole. Okay look, I'm I i, I I'm going back in history to the closure of the North Infirmary in the and the closure of different, you know, look, we can have that debate but the bottom line here is we do need to increase capacity but but the important point here is PJ, we've reopened the country with caution, we're encouraging people to remain vigilant okay. and to get vaccinated and I just hope that the jazz weekend in Cork that we're all craving for uh, would be a safe one and that we all each of us collectively and individually uh, enjoy it but also that we, we, we take care and mind each other because it is important that we, we do, you know, ensure the virus doesn't continue to spread the way it has.
4: Okay, thank you very much. That's Senator Jerry Bottomer, uh, 1850-715-996. And I, I just before we finish up today, if you are going into a place at the weekend and they don't ask for your cert or they kind of casually wave you on when you show your cert, what message is it sending to you? Would you go into a place where they didn't check? 1850 Do you know celebrities, them people, them celebrity type people? You'd think that everything comes really easy for them, wouldn't you? Um, particularly dating. Papers and social and Facebook and Insta, they're all full of pictures of celebrities dating. Sometimes it's front page news you think it's easy for them, like, just click your fingers and you're surrounded by dates that you want. It's not so easy. It isn't so easy at all. So, season three of Celebrity Pulling With My Parents is focusing on that. How being just a little bit well-known, does it or does it not make it easier to get a date? Because you know, it's going to bring 12 unlucky in love singles onto the screen and give control of their dating to their parents. It can, it can only be a disaster waiting to happen. And great television in the process. Talk about that next.
1: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Corks, 96FM. With
2: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C-M-I-G dot Fully focused, what do you mean? Got my eyes on a prize, that's
1: me. Manchester City are the champions.
2: Number
4: one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here.
2: Firmino with the flick, Shut up!
4: Fernandes, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal! The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie.
2: Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre match analysis, live commentary, and in depth interviews with some legends of the sport. Yeah,
4: the premier league live
2: with now stream live premier league action with a now sports or sports extra membership
4: listen every saturday
5: exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the corks 96fm app
2: can we just talk
1: The Opinion Line
4: with PJ Coogan Text
2: or WhatsApp now 83 396
1: On Courts 96 FM
4: Crossy from FM 104 What possessed you to put yourself forward For pulling with my parents Good morning <laughs> Good morning I Are know. you that you know desperate what... <laughs> your poor <laughs> devil yet see
14: when i'm on my instagram or twitter i always talk about dates or i talk about food like there's two things i love one is going on dates and the second is mammy dinners i love mammy dinners i love you know when everyone has a mother dinner that they all love so if people follow me they're like will you stop talking about food stop talking about dates and then when someone came to me i was like do you know what let's do it for the crack let's see what happens um so yeah we started summer, but my, my show is different to where everyone else's and people will probably know who my mammies are because I, my own is very shy, doesn't want to be on TV, doesn't want to be on the radio. So I was like, oh, God, I won't be able to do it then. Tell and the like, you know, truth.
4: Have- Tell the truth. She's <laughs> running away and hiding under the stairs going, I don't believe he's doing this.
14: Oh, God, it gets worse. So she was... The, the producers were like, look, everyone has a mammy figure in their life or a dad figure in their life. And they're like, have you got one? And I was like, well, I, I do, actually. I was like, do you know Mary McAvoy, who is Biddy in Glenroe? And they were like, yes. And I was like, well, if I ask Mary, like, I'm sure she'll do it. And then it got us thinking. We were like, well, I also know Fidelma, Eunice McMenamin. So that's how our show is different to everyone else's. Like, they're mother figures in my life rather than my actual mom.
4: So you're getting so two women... Who bet each other <laughs> over one man on the telly?
14: Yes, and it's the first time they're going to be on TV together in twenty years. Glenrow ended twenty years this year, and it's the first time these two have been on TV together. So there
4: was fireworks the last time.
14: And you know what? And you know what, on our sh- on the show, uh, pulling With my parents, I actually talked to them about that because, like, I know all the stories, but nobody else would know. You know, remember when that, you know, when that that scene with Miley and Biddy and, sorry, Fidelma and in the Miley in the, yeah. Like Eunice was saying, she was barred from certain shops. She was getting hate mail. You know, people were writing into RTE going, get this woman off the TV. And she said it got to a stage where even her mom was like, "Ah, now, come on. Now. And she was like, "Would well, just stop. She was like, I'm acting. But it's mad to think, you know, back then. But if it was now, the hate would probably go to Miley. Because, you know, Eunice, you know, Fidelma was like, it's not my fault. You know, it's both of our faults. So we talk about that. We have the crack and then they take my phone, which is the kind of the craziest part of it, because I don't know about yourself about uh, the likes of all these dating apps. I think any girl listening right now will tell you that sometimes men are a bit creepy on on, uh, the likes of Tinder and all those dating sites. So Mary and Eunice see it for themselves and see what it's like and see, you know, that some people get a chance to sort
4: of clear your phone before you gave it over. Do
14: you know what I did at the very start? I was like, right, I need to make sure my phone is completely clean. I said, I don't care what anyone else sends me. I was like, I am not (laughs) having that. with. I still, you know, have to go for dinner with Mary and Eunice from time to time. So. It was great. It was a good bit of fun. And because they haven't, they haven't, you know, they're in relationships for over 20 years each. So they haven't been on dating apps or they don't know anything about it. So at the start of it, it was a bit strange because I had to I'd tell them a lot about the lingo and tell them how it all works. But by the end of it, they were like, give us a shot your phone there. I'm like, okay, the show's over. And they're going, go oh, no, on, I just want to see who's around here. Because with certain apps, you can kind of see who's in your locality.
13: Mm-hmm. So they
14: were really curious to see if there was anyone in the coffee shop. We went to a pub and they're like, I wonder if there's anyone on your app on, on the pub. And I was like, what do you mean? Give us your phone. So you kind of see
4: bits That's like that. That's kind of stalking, it's- you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But it's, it's funny. Did you get and- yourself sorted anyway. Well, we got two
14: dates. We got two dates and the crack with the two dates are is that Mary and Eunice are gonna be in my ear. Like this is Ant and Deck stuff, you know, with the with the talkie bits in your ear. And they were in a van across from the two dates that I was in, and everything that they said to me I had to say during the dates.
4: Because so hold were, on like, now. The now, one. let's 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 bring that right. So so you're on a date yeah. and your chat lines are coming to you from Biddy and Fidelma from Glenro in 2021.
3: <laughs> when you think
4: of
14: it like that, you're kind of going, okay, did I think this would ever happen to me, that two icons from TV will be telling me about my dating life? And, you know, no, and they no. do Feed,
4: me. feeding your chat up lines during a date to a thing in your ear. Yeah. Bring in the milk but there now.
14: <laughs> and it does like it, it, some of the stuff now. Mary is very bold from time to time, so uh,
4: stuff,
14: <laughs> like it's gonna be a bit of crack. I was kind of nervous. Um, I actually showed my mom a promo clip that went out during the week, and Mary has an animal sanctuary farm in her house. So we were I live in Dublin, what, 20 years now? So I've never, I've gone away from the farm about a long time. So oh, Mary was getting me to do loads of stuff. And there were two or three little innuendos. And my mum's, you know, like she wouldn't be prudish at all. But she became prudish the other night. She was like, is this what it's going to be about? Am I going to be able to walk down the town? I was like, well, you had your chance to come on the TV show and you wouldn't. So I was like, strapping now for half nine on Wednesday night and see how it all goes.
4: All right. Looking but, uh, forward uh, to it. Just, it should be a yeah, good crack. Yeah, I should be a are you allowed to tell us how it all worked out?
14: I'm not. I'm not allowed. But yeah, tonight, half line on RT2. And you get to see Biddy and Fidelma. Like that's the, to me, I'm like, they're the icons. <laughs> they're the grey crack.
4: All right, Crossy, good luck with that. That's Crossy from our sister station in the wireless group FM 104. He is on tonight. Celebrity pulling with my parents, although his parents aren't his parents. They're Biddy and Fidelma from Row. Like who knew? That Biddy and Fidelma from Glen Row would end up giving dating advice to a lunatic off the radio in 2021. Premier League Live, of course, back this Saturday at 96 me with Trevor Welsh and all powered up by Talksport, bringing you live coverage this weekend of Chelsea versus Norwich City at half past 12, Crystal Palace v Newcastle at 3, and Brighton take on Manchester City at 5.30. And of course, Newcastle, news just, news just broke this morning, they've parted company with Steve Bruce. So will they have a new manager in place for that match Saturday at 3? It's the Premier League Live Online with NOW. Stream live Premier League action with the NOW Sports or Sports Extra membership. Your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you with NOW. And listen Saturday at 96 AM.ie. Or the Corks 96 FM app. 1850 On the subject of ICU beds, I brought this up with Jerry Buttimer. And when you boil it down, those daily reports from HSE, which are publicly available documents, they're on a website, you can find it. Every day they publish a report. And it's usually in the evening time. And there are a number of charts in that report. So the, the number of people who presently in hospital with COVID, number of people who are in ICU with COVID, the number of ICU beds in the country, number of ICU beds in a particular hospital that are available at any one time. It's a very, very detailed report. And the more you learn to read it and analyse it, the more you can see. And in the wake of the budget last week, I was looking at it and I compared a date in October, in other words, Last, I think it was the 14th of October. I compared the 14th of October, the number of ICU beds fully staffed and available in the country. And that's, that, they give that every day, the number of ICU beds fully staffed and available in the country. And I compared it to October 14th of 2020. And I discovered it increased by only 10. So I thought, okay, that can't be right. Over the couple of days since, I've done it pretty much every day or every second day compared this day, so today I would compare the 20th with the 20th last year. And it's 7, 8, it's literally 10 has been the increase in fully staffed and available ICU beds in the country. That strips through all the spin, all the budget talk, all the spending talk, all this, all that. 10 beds. And that, I've been saying for the last week or so, is why they're worried and why they're so concerned about pressure on the system. Tim Brosnan, good morning.
3: Good morning, PJ. How are you?
4: Good. Those figures from that report tell more of a story than all the spin we hear day in, day out.
3: They do, PJ. And firstly, let me say I have no medical expertise at all, but people have taught me from time to time that I do have a lot of common sense. And based on what you're saying and the numbers that are there, the fact is COVID is a wild card. And it cannot be controlled; it has to be managed. And we do know that it does cause serious illness in certain people, and they do require ICU beds. Mm-hmm. And with that knowledge alone, we should have provision for at least a hundred extra ICU beds. And that should have been done in the last twelve months. We know that, and any fool can see it as a fact.
4: Now, each and ICU bed, beds to, be to be fair, each ICU bed, to be it, fair, it has to be, It takes about nine full specialised nurses to staff that bed?
3: I agree with you, PJ, but we have a seriously increasing population as well. Our population is also, as well as increasing, it's also getting older. So we are in a situation where we're going to need those beds regardless of what statisticians in the department or in the Department of Finance will tell you. We need them and we have to pay for them. And paying for them will be something people will have to agree with when some kind of charge or tax is introduced to do that but we got to do it. Mm. And part of the issue in my humble opinion, is that the COVID cert has, has seemingly taken the place of, uh, has taken the place of, uh, I'm free from COVID, I can't catch COVID. A person with a COVID cert going into any club is as likely to carry COVID as anybody else. The cert, in fact, means that you've only been injected against covid it doesn't mean that you're not carrying covid and to give it that kind of a Well stable, it means
4: it's less likely Tim to be fair it's less no, it's, 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 not it's considerably less likely, less, likely. less
3: likely No the only thing that we do know about the vaccine is that it will for sure protect you against hospitalization and serious illness that's the only thing we're sure of everything else you're as likely to be carrying it and passing it as anybody else mm-hmm. and I think when people realize that we as individuals and the Taoiseach said it everybody says we just have to take responsibility mm. for ourselves if I'm going to a nightclub tonight and I'm sniffling here at home oh shouldn't be going mm. you know and, and I know one employer who's who says everybody coming in the door of my employment has their temperature taken and if their temperature is not normal they're not coming in they'll go over there for 10 minutes and they'll have their temperature taken again and that's it if they have a second temperature they'll go home they're paid and that's it come back again another day but they're not allowed in with the temperature because the temperature is a definite sign of an illness
4: See Tim to me and you that sounds eminently sensible but there's a huge movement out there I think it's big anyway a movement out there how dare you ask me my medical information how dare you impose upon me Like, how do we get rid of that kind of nonsense?
3: Well, again, as a matter of fact, we are in a time of a pandemic and it isn't the government's responsibility to police every single individual. We can't have a guard standing outside every door. We have to take the responsibility ourselves and we have to say as adults that this is not acceptable for me to go out tonight. I may be able to go out tomorrow night or some other night, but not tonight. And that has to be done.
4: We're seriously behind the curve on antigen testing. Now, earlier on, I will admit this hand on heart, I wasn't happy with the idea of buying an antigen test in Lidl or Circle K or any other shop super value. That there's the, but things have changed. The technology is better. The tests are better. And I was speaking to a doctor friend recently who said those tests are actually quite accurate if you do them properly. We're not encouraging... So, yeah, you, you, you have the sniffle. You have the cough. Stay home. Get a test in the morning and test yourself. We're not in. We're not. We're not in that space
3: yet. No, we're not. And that's where we have to go as a people. We, we can't be driven there. I mean, there's there's a situation now where society is breaking into two groups. They have the injection. They don't. I saw a display in Shannon, I think it was yesterday by one member. That was appalling. But and I won't go into it because that's not the purpose of the call. But people are going to have to accept. That some people, and you had a doctor and a professor on earlier, who may have the ability to fight the virus, and we want those people in society as well, because it's they may produce the cure. But individually, whether you have a COVID sort or whether you don't have a COVID search, if you have a sniffle, do not go out. Mm. If you have a cold, do not go in anywhere. Yeah. But I, I'm afraid what's happening is it's going too far west now, and people are being told if you have a COVID search, you can more or less do what you like. And... That is fundamentally wrong, in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it's not medical; it's just common sense. No, it's it just it's it's it's, a, a,
4: a, it's a trenchantly held opinion. So, you're saying COVID-cert or not? If you're not feeling a hundred percent, stay home.
3: Stay home. You know, there'll be there'll be jazz on the streets. You can see the jazz on the streets. You can wear the mask in the streets. And it does come down to the fundamentals about what and. Yeah, as a radio station, to be fair, PJ and 96 have hammered it home from day one, the washing the hands, the social distancing, sneezing or coughing into your elbow. That's what's going to do the stopping of the virus, not fighting amongst ourselves about who has it, and who hasn't the injection, and who has the injection. Strong, healthy people, you know, they will fight it better than people like me who I'm in my 60s. So I take the injections for my own benefit, and for the benefit of those around me. But other people have different views. And I respect, we don't know where the cure for this thing, if we do get a cure, is going to come from, but certainly having a healthy cohort of people who can stand up for it and weather it Mm. is showing scientists where there may be possibilities to make progress in a better inoculation for the older people.
4: Come back to where we started discussing ICU beds, because if I don't say it, people would point it out to me. You know, you yourself... Uh, Tim, you know, you're you're formerly in of, of public life. You were in Fingal for many yeah. years. Your own party had, had had Fianna its Fáil, hands. TJ Are Ed you Proud of it. good man? Yeah. Your your party had its hands on the health tiller uh, quite a number of times, and has it at the moment. So, for short of ICU beds, Fingal must take its share of the blame.
3: Our elected representatives have to take responsibility for it. And what I would say to the elected representatives is, bring in. You need to. You need to raise the finance to fight this thing and give us a health service we need. One glaring area where there is an opportunity to raise taxes in the whole area of capital acquisitions tax. And it's not been touched. Huge amounts of up to 300,000 can transfer from parents to children and all this. And there's not even a 5% or a 10% tax. If somebody told me in the morning. Both my parents are dead. But if somebody told me in the morning your father has died and left you two hundred thousand, there's a tax at twenty percent, you're getting a hundred and eighty. I'd say thanks very much for the hundred and eighty thousand. You've got to start taxing the money where it's tax free. And oh. I think that's one area. I equally think that the pensions tax relief being given to higher paid taxpayers is just gone beyond a joke at this stage. Mm. That needs to be reeled back. So we can raise the finances. The place, the, the facilities are there to raise it. That the, the the resource is there to be taxed. It can be easily taxed and financed, easily arranged okay. to give us that health service that we need. Okay. In any event, we're going to need to raise taxes for slantic care anyway. Yes. So, I I would put down a marker and I would raise taxes in that area.
4: All right, it's an instant conversation. We may take it up another day, Tim. Thank you very much. That's Tim Brasman, farmer. Uh, Fianna Fáil City Councillor, I'm still a member of of Fianna Fáil, but everybody has failed in putting in place more ICU beds. We should have at least 100 more. He's right. We should have at least 100 more active every day. Another figure that we pulled out last week, we have only got 59% of the European average number of ICU beds. So we call ourselves number one in the world at a lot of things, and we are. But we're serious laggards when it comes to the number of ICU beds for our people.
13: Can we
1: just talk? The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM. With
2: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk?
1: The Opinion Line
4: with PJ Coogan.
2: Call us now. 1850 715
1: 996. On Courts 96 FM.
4: You know what I did this morning early. I watched episode one of the second series of Seriously, Sinead? On the RTE player. It was a nice way to lighten up an old dull morning. And I was reminded that two years ago, Sinead Quinlan, you'd never even done a stand-up gig. Good morning.
17: Good morning. How are you?
4: Good. As I said, I watched it this morning over coffee and I thought, God, two years ago she hadn't even had a gig. It's been a bit of a whirlwind, hasn't it?
17: An absolute whirlwind. Like, nobody could have predicted it was going to happen. Include my family. I finished a master's in social work. Didn't work a day in it. Uh, I'm now a comedian.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I know a few social workers. Nobody they make good comedians.
17: <laughs>
10: you, yeah,
4: you need a sense of humour to be a social worker. It all started out you when do. you met You met Stephen Kelly at a, at a gig.
17: Wasn't it? Yes. So I kind of had this in my head that I was going, I wanted to try stand-up once, like just to give it a go. And then I met Stephen Kelly. So he's one of the Hardy Bucks. So I met him and I was like, you know, told him thinking about doing it whatever. And he was like, oh, like, you know, the next time we're in Cork, like, we'll give you a call and you can do a few minutes before us. So I was like, oh yeah, no worries. Like thinking I'll never hear from this man again. Like, um, but lo and behold, he gave me a call. He was like, yeah, we'll be in Cork there in October. I was like, okay, this was like, give me like two months. So I was like, well, I kind of have to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I prepared my bits. I was only supposed to do like five minutes and I ended up doing 20 minutes um, because I had no idea concept of time or <laughs> creative. That's a, set, a long right?
4: set. I love that. <laughs> <like.
17: laughs> yeah, that's very long, yeah. um, But it went well. Like It wasn't incredible, but I would say 60% of it went well. So if mm. it goes kind of well, like you're pretty much hooked like, from the get-go.
4: And then the Ray um, Darcy show put out a search for a comedian and you
17: won it. Yeah. So that actually happened over eating a taco fries in the Hillbillies. Um so my dad worst things have happened
4: said, over the taco fries in Hillbillies. <laughs>
17: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally I' a taco fries, thank um, so my dad saw it in the paper and he said it to me, when we were eating taco fries. And he was like, "Come here, you should enter this and I was like, Dad, I've only done four gigs. like what are you talking about?" And he was like, "Well, they're looking for somebody new like who's done less than two years, so you do fit the criteria. Uh so I played anyway, thinking not of it, and yeah, I ended up winning it like, which is mad. And then the prize was a pilot with the RT player, which turned out to be Seriously Sinead. And yeah, the second I know it's series, series too on one day.
4: On yeah. the player. Yeah. Can you That's quite right. can you quite believe all this?
17: No, no, not at all. No. That was on the den then as well, last year. So that was crazy as well. It was just I think it's a good thing, actually, that I—it's nothing is really registered, you know. So I'm just kind of floating along. I think if it actually all registered, I'd just fall down the floor or something.
4: <laughs> You're going to have a oh my god moment any one of these days.
17: Yeah. yeah. Well, listen,
4: I said I watched series two, episode one this morning early, uh, to try and liven up a dreary all morning. And it did just that, and I enjoyed it, and good luck with it. Series 2 of Seriously Sinead, now on the RT Player. Series 1 is there as well. That's Sinead Gwinlin, who two years ago had never even done a gig. Nice to see one of our own doing well.
1: Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time